that was not my idea. That was not my idea at all. And I have email proof that when I sent my PowerPoint to Charles Abels, that was not in there. So we are going to take a look tonight at the book of Exodus. But hopefully, uh, as we even mentioned in our lesson this morning, there is uh, some humorous things that are included there, including a lot of the laws and the discussion of what a person is to do. Uh, we have had a pretty good laugh at what to do if your ox falls in a pit and who's supposed to pay for that ox and the restitution that is made, what you do if you uh, uh, hit somebody in a fight but they don't die and then they walk again and how you handle all of these things. And in looking at the book of Exodus and an attempt to try to kind of sum up uh, what we wanted to talk about tonight, I kind of thought this might be an interesting way to take a look at some of the things that are found in this great book. You know, just many times there's things that happen that give us a little bit of humor, even when it's not intended. I think we could go around the room and many of you that have attended church services for most of your life could give many examples of the things that happen sometimes in the middle of church service that you're not supposed to laugh at, but you kind of get tickled at it and you know you, know, you just have a hard time stifling your laughter. Uh, I was looking at a few things, you know, in kind of preparation for this lesson. Somebody said that uh, some of the things that were said before uh, in a service, somebody said that uh, the preacher would say instead of the city that was set on a hill, that there was a hill set on a city. Uh, somebody said that a preacher one time said that Jonah was in the welly of the bell. I think that's right. Somebody said the preacher one time talking about the five new converts, called them the five new convicts. Uh, and there was even a um, lawyer, a preacher who was a lawyer that uh, began his prayer by saying your honor instead of dear God. Uh, so sometimes funny things happen. You know, even this morning, I was kind of humorous. Some of you even ca caught a little bit of laughter out of it. But even this morning as Charles and Dakota were going to be, you know, to baptize Dakota and Dakota took out the side door there, you know, and I heard a little bit of laughter. Everybody's kind of, you know, you're not supposed to laugh. It's like, wait a minute, he's going out the side door. Don't let him get away. You know, he just got out the wrong door there. But sometimes funny things happen from time to time to us that we're just, you know, not sure how to handle or we kind of have to laugh about some of the, the things that happen. And, and I'll be honest. Tonight, the point of the lesson is, is not just to have you rolling in laughter. My intention in, at all is not to be blasphemous or sacrilegious or disrespectful in any type of way. But you have to admit that sometimes we read things and we kind of think, you know, maybe there's just a little bit of humor found there. What we're going to do tonight is really take a look at four things that I, I think are kind of humorous to me, but then three things that I don't know that they're so much humorous, but maybe we find humor sometimes in irony. I think they're a little more ironic, and I think there are a few applications and a few lessons that we can make for our lives tonight. So yeah, I was going for a bit of a headline grab uh, today in our bulletin with the sermon, but I, I think we can learn a few things tonight. Uh, number one this evening, as we think about uh, some things in Exodus, if you've got your Bible, you can be turning to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. Again, just some of the ironic things and some of the somewhat humorous things that happen throughout this book. We talked this morning about uh, some of the instructions that are given, certainly in the instructions for the tabernacle. And as we looked at some of those this morning, they're not humorous. They're very serious. And we'll even talk about that here in just a moment. Uh, but there are through some of the stories that take place. There are some things. Exodus chapter 7 and verses 8 through uh, 13, Exodus 7, 8 through 13 is when... Aaron and Moses are going to talk to God. And they begin here, before we get into the ten plagues, with Aaron's rod. 
And so the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Verse 11. But Pharaoh also caused, called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. That's the New King James. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. Now, if you've got headings in your Bible, you may recognize that the very next step, the very next, next verse begins a look at the ten plagues, with the first plague of water becoming blood. But when we talk about, you know, humorous things, and sometimes we get pictures in our head, I think it's kind of funny to think about what takes place here. Because think of the many different ways this could have gone. In fact, we talked this morning about God and the tabernacle, and we said, you know, God could have simply just spoke the word or simply just out of the dust conjured up this tabernacle, but he chose to have the people to build it. Well, I think it's interesting what happens here with the serpents or the snakes as well with these rods. Think about it for just a moment. Aaron throws his down, becomes a serpent, and all of these other magicians do as well. What I think is interesting is if it were up to me and you, we might think that's wrong. You might say, wait a minute, God, why would you allow the same thing to happen to their rods? That kind of takes away from your power, doesn't it? If you can do this with Aaron's rod, but they can do it with their magicians and their enchantments, then, I mean, that doesn't kind of cause any divide. But God could have chosen many different ways for this to go. Uh, you know, first of all, they could not have been able to do that. You know, I mean, how humorous would that have been? Aaron throws down his rod, becomes a snake. Everybody else starts throwing down their rods, and they're just bouncing off the ground. You know, nothing's happening. Or they could have died. They could have thrown down their rods, and they could have been serpents, and they could have died. But it's kind of interesting to think about the fact. I wonder if any of them were really surprised. I mean, you know, there, there's a good chance, of course, obviously they're not actually working magic. You know, they're not able to actually perform miracles. So do you think that they were just sort of kind of boastful and they threw it down kind of hoping and then all of a sudden it becomes a serpent? They were kind of surprised, these magicians, that they were actually able to do it? So I think it's kind of interesting to think about this fact that, that even all-powerful God allows this to happen for Aaron, allows this to happen for these magicians and these enchantments. But then, of course, he shows his power in the sense that Aaron's serpent is the one that swallows up the rest of them. Now, if you're like me, I would rather do any kind of miracle except for one that involves serpents. But yet, that's what happens here. And it's kind of interesting as God shows his power. I think as we talked about this morning of the God of heaven, the God of creation and what he is able to do. I think about Paul in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 24. As he is there at Mars Hill, we've talked about this verse lately, but, but the, the fact that, that Paul says that God who created the world or made the world and everything in it. This is who we're talking about. We're not just talking about some idol. We're not talking about some little gold image on a shelf. We're not talking about a, a pope or a person that might call himself God. We're talking about God, the God of heaven, who can cause these things to happen. And here in Acts chapter 7, excuse me, Exodus chapter 7, he's not, we're not through the ten plagues. We're not through the Red Sea. So they may have witnessed some things, but not everything. But I think it's interesting that we begin here and we think about this idea of Aaron's rod becoming a serpent, the magician's able to do the same thing, 
but then God showing his power by Aaron's snake or serpent then uh, taking up and swallowing up the other ones there. Number two tonight, the word stank. If you've got your Bible, you can look in Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse number 14. Now, I don't know about you, but this word was humorous to me because we may have, you may have used it in your own life before. Uh, I, I think when I think of the word stank, I think of, unfortunately, the high school basketball locker room. All right, let's just be honest. A bunch of sweaty boys, all smelly, smelling up the place, and we talk about how much it stinks. And I remember maybe hearing that word before, and I thought, well, we've just kind of made that up. You know, somebody's talking about something stinking, and they call the word stank. But no, Exodus chapter 16, begin, beginning in verse number 14, to kind of set the stage for us, of course. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small, round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was, and Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Now go over to verse number 31, and we get a little bit more of the description. As it says, And the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So we know about manna. Everybody kind of knows about manna, and it's used there in the book of Exodus. But now let's go back to verse number 18. Exodus chapter 16 and verse number 18. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. And in verse number 20, notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. You go on to verse number 21 of interest. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. <clears throat> so here in the book of Exodus chapter 16, we get a little bit of the interaction of how they're supposed to handle this. They're supposed to get just what they need. Although we see going on down through the rest of chapter 16... We won't take the time to read tonight, but because of that, we see that they are going to collect more on the sixth day, gather twice as much in order for the Sabbath rest down there in verse number 23. But when they leave it, there is this, it's maybe hard to believe and call it a miracle, but this type of idea that either it melts at one point or it breeds worms and it stinks because of it being left out. It's interesting because it goes a lot like the lesson this morning, just like we talked about, God has very specific instructions. He has very specific plans. We see it all throughout the Old Testament that that's the way he meant for things to be done. And when he meant for it to be done that way and they didn't do it that way, then there are issues that arise. Sometimes they're major issues. Sometimes maybe they're minor issues. In this case, this manna this small round substance is not going to make it because it's going to breed worms and it's going to stink because of the way that God is intended for things to be done. Now, sometimes today we wish that maybe God interacted the same way with us or at least with others, that maybe if someone was disobeying that, that it would happen to them in something the same fashion, maybe not that exact way, but that something would show exactly when we're doing what we're supposed to do. But God has given us his word just like he did to the children of Israel through the instructions of Moses. 
Number three, Exodus chapter 29. Exodus chapter 29. Beginning in verse number 15, we'll begin reading because in, in Exodus chapter 29, Aaron and his sons are consecrated. We begin to read about the things that they're supposed to be doing. We read about the offerings that are going to take place. And in verse number 15 of Acts 29, it says, You shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall be or shall put their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall also take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their heads on the he hands on the head of the ram. And then verse number 20. Then you shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons and on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. I think there's even a little more interesting uh, instructions there. Go down to verse number 22. Also, you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, and the right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration, one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, and one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. <clears throat> and for the sake of time, we're going to stop there tonight. But again, all kinds of interesting instructions that come out of this. I joked in the video that we put on Facebook there and, and about the many things that were, we were, the people were told to do to interact with each other. This morning, we talked about the instructions that would go along with the tabernacle. And even tonight, as we think about more instructions about how to handle yourself, where to put the blood, even including on the big toe of their right foot. Yes, it seems silly to us. It may even seem a little humorous. But God has given his instructions. I think it's interesting sometimes when I think of it as a humorous look, oftentimes we talk about Noah when we talk about obeying, right? And we only go to gopher wood. Why don't we talk about big toes when it comes to obeying? Well, we don't always know that passage is tucked away in there. But yet God is encouraging us as he is encouraging them to be obedient to the way that he has told them that things are to be done. One more tonight before we move on to some other points here. Exodus chapter 32. Now, this one you may recall, and maybe it's a, a little funny as well to think about the way that Moses handles it. But you remember in Exodus chapter 32, the golden calf, and Moses is there on the mountain with God, and he comes down, and he's angry because of what they are doing. And in verse number 19 of Exodus 32, as Moses comes down and comes near the camp, he sees the calf and the dancing, and his anger becomes hot. And he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. But I told the kids as we study this in Bible Bowl, verse number 20, then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder. And he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. 
Now, again, I told you my intention was not to be, uh, you know, blasphemous or irreverent, irreverent in any way tonight. I don't know that this is quite as humorous unless maybe you've been a parent before. Have you ever tried to teach your kids a lesson? You know, I even think about our animals, you know, you think sometimes people teach you, I don't know that it's the best way, but some people have taught you, you know, if your animal uses a bathroom in the floor, particularly maybe a dog, you know, then you might take it over and show it to it or put its face in it or something like that. Maybe you've done the same thing before with a child in the sense where they were doing something you didn't want them to do. And they said, you know, said, well, you're going to finish it. You're going to do the rest of it. You're going to do whatever to try to make an impact on you that you'll remember what you did wrong. Moses here takes that calf that they've spent this time on, grinds it down, ground, ground it down into powder, and then makes them drink it. I think about, if you've got your Bible, turn over to the New Testament to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 5 through 6. First of all, Hebrews 12, 5 through 6, which is a quotation from Proverbs chapter 3. But we don't like the idea of discipline and being disciplined. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 5, the Hebrew writer says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which, speak, which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. And even on down there into verse number, or even it continues on down through about verse 11. We won't read all of it. Verse number 11 says, Now no chastening or no discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. That's the way things go for us sometimes. Discipline's not fun. We don't like to be reminded of the times that we mess up. And in all honesty, obviously the way God interacts with us today, that's not always the way it happens. Now sometimes when we make a mistake, we find ourselves with a memory of that. You think about someone who possibly makes the mistake of driving while drunk, takes the life of someone, they've got to live with that. Maybe they are even punished with jail time or, or something like that because of what they've done. There are things that sometimes bring it back to memory for us. I, I just can only imagine what it would have been like to be the children of Israel, to go from wondering where Moses was to celebrating with this golden calf and worshiping it to that uh-oh moment of here comes Moses down to when he actually takes that calf and turns it into powder and causes them to drink it. To think about what they have done here and to remind them of the grave mistake that they have made, the mistake that's going to continue on with them as they continue to do some of these things and break this covenant. Now tonight, in our last few moments together, I'd like for us to consider three things that maybe, again, I don't know that they're so much humorous as maybe ironic when we think about what takes place. The first one is there in Exodus chapter 32 again, if maybe you're still there, beginning in verse number 21. We talked about this before in previous lessons over the book of Exodus, but when you come to Exodus 32, we left off with verse number 20 where they're made to drink. But you remember the interaction between Moses and Aaron. Verse number 21. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron, we can only imagine beginning to stammering and stutter and, and kind of try to back up, says, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that, they, that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. 
And I, you can hear Aaron, and I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire. And of course, as the slide says, he essentially says, poof, this calf came out. Like a magic trick, if you will, Aaron expects Moses or God to believe that I just poured it in there and out it came. I would include this in a lesson, maybe taking a look at something that's humorous, because what's interesting is we really treat God the very same way sometimes. Or maybe we treat our parents the same way at various times. We look at Aaron and we think, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's laughable. That's funny that you would think that Moses and God would imagine that, yes, you just poured it in there and out it came. But what is it in our life? What sin might, it ha- might have happened before? What might have taken place where we we're, we're just simply say, well, God, it just, just kind of happened. And I mean, you know, I was there and it happened. We would treat many things in our life the very same way. But yet we know that that's kind of ludicrous. It's kind of humorous. And God knows. We know that we're only, as we talked about in our adult class this morning here in the adult classroom one, we're only reaping what we've sown. We think we can fool God and simply say, well, yeah, just, you know, I was, I was there, just a victim of circumstance, wrong place, wrong time, just happened to me. No, many times we're simply reaping what we've sown. And when Aaron, stuttering, stammering, tries to give this excuse to God and to Moses, I like the phrase there again when Moses comes down in verse number 19 that his anger becomes hot. I mean, just really cannot, it, it, is not able to believe what he's witnessing. And yet that is the way that Aaron gives this excuse and we do the same thing many times. Number two this evening, again, taking a little bit more of an ironic look at things, Exodus chapter 14, if you will. Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse number 10. Now, we're not through the Red Sea. If you've got your Bible and you're turning there, we're almost there. I, you know, imagining that great moment of the Red Sea parting is something to imagine. We're not there, but we've come through the ten plagues. Maybe you witnessed Aaron's rod. Maybe you're aware of the many things that God has done. But in Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse number 10, the key to <coughs> excuse me, to what the children of Israel say is that when Pharaoh drew near, verse number 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. If you're following along, go back a few verses on down to verse number 7, that Pharaoh, when he decides to chase after them, takes 600 choice chariots, and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. They do not turn around and simply see about 100 people walking after them. They see the Egyptians coming after them. And so they are afraid. In verse number 10, And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. I don't know if you can imagine that type of of comment being made. Maybe perhaps you've helped a family member before or a friend. 
even with someone who may be dealing with some serious type of addiction to drugs or to alcohol or something, but you help. You go through every level of helping that you can, and yet they still look at you and continue to complain or to fuss or to whine about things and, and continue to kind of take a negative look at the situation. Can you imagine the children of Israel standing there? And I get it. They're between, we say, a rock and a hard place. They're between the river and they're between the Egyptians. But you have to ask, how good do you have it? Do you recall, we didn't even get to read it, but back earlier in the chapters when they're talking about their burdens being doubled, the Egyptians coming through and saying, we're taking away your straw and the things that make it easier to build, and we're going to make you do it on your own. Pharaoh is, is hurting them, he's punishing them, and they've been rescued. Yet they look at God and say, just, you should have just left us there. They don't stop with their complaining there. If you've got your Bible there in chapter 16 and verse number 3, before the bread from heaven comes down, the children of Israel said to them, to Moses and to Aaron, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Chapter 17 in verse number 3, And the people thirsted for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Time and time again, they're just saying you should have left us there. And again, put ourselves in the position of God in a sense as a parent, God the Father, to look back and say, you ungrateful people. I mean, how many times are you going to slap me in the face and cause me to think about what I've done? I rescued you. I want to make you my people. But yet, time and time again, you continue to complain. You know, there's a whole passage there in Philippians chapter 2 and a lot of different contexts and things there. But Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 14, maybe you recall very simply in the New King James, it says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Or grumbling and disputing. We sometimes are like the children of Israel. We forget how good that we really do have it. Things are not perfect. We struggle from time to time. But we do have a God who takes care of us and loves us. And how dare we, like the children of Israel, sometimes wish that we were still slaves. Slaves to sin as we sometimes are and have been in times past today. And then finally, if you've got your Bible... To finish us in the book of Exodus, go to Exodus chapter 40, the very end of the book. Throughout this book, we've talked about the fact that God wants to be with his people. God wants to be with his people. In Exodus chapter 40, in verse number 34, as the tabernacle is completed, it says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And in verse number 35, and Moses was not able to enter. Moses was not able to enter after all that he had just done, after these great things that have been put forth, this great effort that we talked about this morning between Moses and these gifted artisans and the things they were able to create and make following the instructions of God. Moses can't enter. It's true. You know from the book of Leviticus about the fact that they were, the book of Leviticus is filled with more of those great instructions of what they were to do to make themselves holy, 
to be able to see God or to visit God in a sense as the priests were able to do there in the tabernacle because he is holy. Israel's sin has damaged the relationship. Notice in Leviticus chapter 1 in verse number 1, if you're there at the end of Exodus, Leviticus 1.1 begins saying, Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting. Of course, a continuation there from the end of Exodus that Moses is not able to go in. Leviticus is about how God graciously provides for a way for sinful people to live in his presence. And in Leviticus, God provides a way. And we see how Moses and the high priest could then enter. Notice if you've got your Bible over in Numbers. We end Exodus with the fact that Moses can't enter. Leviticus 1.1, Lord, the Lord calls to Moses from the tent, the tabernacle of meeting. And then in Numbers chapter 1 and verse number 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting. It would seem that the book of Leviticus works. That the instructions that God has given is allowed Moses and the people through the high priest and all the things that are listed there in Leviticus, and we obviously have no time for that tonight, but are able to be in the presence of God, to offer the sacrifices that they needed to offer, to be able to be with him as he has planned for this to happen. One more passage here, and the lesson will be yours. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. When we think about the fact of Moses not being able to enter, that might make us a little bit sad. It might seem a little backwards. Again, not necessarily humorous, but ironic of all the work that Moses had done. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse number 9, Peter says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. And even in Hebrews chapter 8, in Hebrews 8, 9, and 10, by the way, again, not enough time today, but talks about the tabernacle and, and the old law and the things of the new law and Jesus. And in Hebrews 8, in verse number 6, the Hebrew writer says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Praise be to God that we don't have to offer the ram and the fatty lobe and all those things up here today. Praise be to God that he sent his only begotten son. That Jesus would be the mediator of a better covenant. That we don't have to worry about all the things of the tabernacle. And although we talked about it this morning, we're thankful that God has made a way. While it might have changed from the old law to the new covenant under Jesus Christ, he's made a way for us to be in his presence, especially with his church, as we talked about this morning, but even as we think about all of eternity. As we conclude this lesson tonight and sort of conclude our look at the book of Exodus, I hope that you've been somewhat encouraged by the various things that we've talked about. I would encourage you to take a, a look at it on your own, reading through it and thinking about not only the instructions, not only the laws, but even the stories that maybe you know so well. Tonight, as we conclude this lesson, we ask for you to consider your life in light of the new covenant. 
the better way, the better promises that come through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to put on Christ. We're thankful for his sacrifice. We're thankful for that way. And we've been thankful even this week, in this past week, to see several who have been willing to do that. If you want to know more, we would study with you even this night about that great commitment. Maybe you're here and you've been separated. As we think about the children of Israel continually, in a sense, disappointing God by turning away from him, we do the very same thing. Maybe you need the prayers of this congregation, some type of public sin that you have made and would like to make known. Maybe you just need the prayers of this congregation to help you through this life, through this journey of Christianity, living here upon this earth on the way to eternity. Hoping, not in the sense of just, I, I hope that the sun shines tomorrow, but that I have a hope of heaven. You can have that comfort and that peace. If only you would become a child of God. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to come back to him. We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.